You're listening to Solving for B, the podcast where we extract topical insights from all corners of the branding and marketing field. This week, we'll examine key elements of the European Union's sweeping new general data protection regulation. How will it affect U.S. companies that do business in the EU? That and more here on Solving for B with Brand Extract. Hi, and thanks for joining us today for the Solving for B podcast. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the General Data Protection Regulation, more commonly referred to as GDPR. And to help me address the topic, I'm joined by VP of Software Engineering, Donovan Buck. How you doing, Chris? And marketing copywriter, Jared Hobby. Thanks for having me today, Chris. Thanks for lending us a little bit of your time today, guys. Um, So it should be noted that today's discussion is centered around the GDPR and how it affects U.S.-based companies. Um, So while there's a lot to unpack from a myriad of different angles, we're specifically dealing with what U.S. businesses need to consider about their legislation. Um, So, okay, with that in mind, let's start with the simple question, what is the GDPR? Well, uh, the GDPR, so suite of regulations from the EU, And the fundamental spirit of it is that all natural persons, which is uh, distinct from legal persons, you have to be an actual person, have the right to know when their data is being collected and the right to refuse that data collection. If they do consent to data collection, they have the right to manage how that data is used, revoke their consent, and even choose at a later date to just completely be forgotten. Cool. So when, um, just so we're setting a baseline, when does this go into effect? When is this regulation... Going to effect. On May 25th. May 25th. Mark your calendars. Um, so why does this matter? This is, we've talked about it. This is a, a, a regulation from the EU. Um, why does this matter to companies inside the United States as opposed to outside of the U.S.? Well, the regulation applies to anyone who's doing business in the EU. And by doing business, that might mean having offices in the EU, having distributors in the EU, uh, having, uh, having just customers in the EU. Um, it doesn't mean that just by having someone visit your website from the EU that you are required to adhere to GDPR. Um, that does not imply an intent to do business in the EU. So, uh, but if any of those other things apply, you must um, be conformant with GDPR or risk being fined. Got it. You can think of the Internet as having essentially no borders, and GDPR reflects that when it comes to enacting strict rules in the areas of data collection, retention, and use by organizations that gather that information, um, as well as companies that process it, which is an important distinction. And and the intention of this, um, you know, I think, Donovan, you covered it, uh, but the intention of this is to protect us, the consumer, right? Um, it's not necessarily, you know, necessarily a frivolous piece of legislation just to make companies jump through more hoops. It's so that we don't fall victim to stuff like we're seeing with um, uh, Facebook and Cambridge Analytica right now. Exactly. So there was some some good foresight there <laughs> when they were putting this regulation in place because that's exactly what it's designed to protect us from. Excellent. And, I mean, and uh, Donovan, we were talking about it. I think um, you mentioned that, you know, this this – I guess, to those who aren't in the know, can maybe look like it's a little reactionary to that situation, but this has been... This has been in works for years. Okay, excellent. Excellent. In fact, it's not really the first legislation of its type in the EU. Prior to GDPR and in place now, we have the DPD, the Data Protection Directive, 
which um, is not necessarily legally binding in all the EU states, but it's an, an advisory document stating uh, much of the same, many of the same principles that we have in GDPR are in DPD. They're just ratified in GDPR, and with this GDPR regulation, they're uh, instantly applicable in all the member countries. And uh, that's where the tricky part about GDPR comes in. All the rules and principles embodied within the regulation are very broad in scope. So there can be a lot of confusion in terms of uh, applicability for compliance. And one more note, I guess, on that is GDPR does not replace or supersede the EU cookie law. Uh, that piece of regulation is also still in effect. So that also adds complexity to what's already existing. As Donovan has also mentioned, the DPD, we can really think of, of the context broad in scope. Yeah, so this is a, a pretty layered issue. And even outside of this regulation, the whole what what the EU is trying to do to protect citizens on the web is is pretty pretty layered, pretty complex. Yeah, mm. having a user access your website from the EU does not establish your intention to do business there. However, if you actively court business, GDPR very much matters. Sure. Yeah. Excellent. So um so we we've we've established that the 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 spirit of this regulation is to try to protect users. Um, and, and how they're protecting them is, is to not allow the, um, let's say, um, uh, irresponsible collection of their data. Um, when is it acceptable to, uh, to collect personal data? Well, there are um, six legal bases for processing personal data. Um, most of those don't apply to uh, companies doing business in the U.S., certainly not to companies that would be doing business with brand extract. Um, but the two that do apply are consent. You can ask for and receive consent from the users to collect their data. And that involves uh, stating explicitly and clearly uh, what you are collecting, uh, what you're going to do with that data, who you might share it with, um, and uh, logging that consent, making sure you have a record of that user's consent. Um, the other legal basis for processing is if having that personal data is strictly necessary for doing business or fulfilling a contract. So uh, one example might be if you're selling something online, an e-commerce e transaction, of course you need their address, their billing information, and so forth. So you can collect that information because it is necessary to fulfill that contract. But if you're going to use information that you're going to collect during that transaction, for other purposes, for that you must gather consent. So if I'm going to send a, an email with other products you might be interested in at a later date, I have to have consent from the user prior to doing that. And I have to let them know that at the point when I'm collecting that data that I'm going to do that. Excellent. I think one thing to note in the context of, of U.S.-based websites and, and the general rules and principles embodied within GDPR Article 3 of GDPR merits uh, significant attention because it essentially motivates and underpins uh, most, if not all, the other regulations. The main aspect of Part 1 involves uh, dealing with personal data by a controller or processor who is established in the European Union, uh, while Part 2 of Article 3 is about dealing with personal data by a controller or processor that is not based in the EU. And in that context, where they offer services and products to people in the European Union, or they track behavior 
of people in the European Union. Yeah. Got it. And you mentioned in there, you're talking about Article 3, um, you mentioned a couple times controller and processor. For, real quick, can we can we talk a little bit about what is a controller versus a processor? Yeah, so uh, I'm just going to read right from the GDPR for this one. Uh, the controller is the natural or legal person or public authority, agency, or other body uh, that uh, alone or with others determines the purposes and means of the processing of personal data. So in short, uh, if you're a brand extract client and we're building you a website, you are ultimately responsible for making sure that the principles of GDPR are, are adhered to. Um, of course, uh, you know we're going to do our best to guide you there and give you good advice, but we're not lawyers, so it may involve your legal professionals and, and other people to, to help inform that decision and, and what needs to be done. We have a good idea of what needs to be done from a technology standpoint, but there are business decisions to be made as well, and those are on you. Um, when we build websites, we incorporate third-party tools frequently, um, Google Analytics, uh, HubSpot, Pardot, et cetera. Those are processors of, your personal, of the personal data, um, and the processors are also required to adhere to the uh, standards of, of GDPR. So if we're putting Google Analytics on your site and we haven't anonymized the data, then we need to make sure that we've gathered consent from the users to do that. And how that can reflect on your brand is, is a concern. Um, uh, showing a warning to people saying, let's be honest, we're going to track all your usage uh, behaviors, we're going to track every page you click on, and we're going to be able to know what you did, um, might not be the best thing for your brand. So we strive to make it where we don't have to worry about getting that consent. And we can do that by anonymizing the data, by not being able to identify it with a single person or individual. Uh, gives us the power to, to do things without having to ask for consent. Um, and you know, we are somewhat limited. Uh, we can't do the Pardot thing where we uh, I try and identify a user in advance. Um, uh, but uh, we can certainly uh, do basic analytics, know how many people are visiting a page. We just don't know exactly who. Okay. Just to complement Donovan's response uh, regarding data controllers and processors, uh, back to Article 3, if a company isn't established in the European Union, then Part 1 isn't applicable. However, if that company or companies uh, that manage and work with personal data of EU citizens, and it sells to or monitors people within the EU, then Part 2 of Article 3 might very well apply. Got it. Okay. Um, so, Jonathan, you, you started to touch on it a little bit, like the anonymization. Some of these words are difficult. Yeah. Um, but you started to touch on kind of, okay, let's say it is it is necessary for you to conduct it. To to conduct business um, to get this personal information, or you have consent. Are there any other um, stipulations? I think you mentioned you have to be able in the in the opening um, that you have to be able to delete it on you know on command. Uh, what are some of the stipulations if you do have a, a, a reason or a basis for um, collecting this data? So uh, as far as um, gathering consent and, and the users being able to revoke consent. There has to be not necessarily a technological solution. You don't necessarily have to have an automated process, but you have to have a process of some kind that allows the user to submit a request for what data you have about them. Um, they have the right to correct that data if it's uh, something that you know uh, makes sense to be there, maybe medical records. Um, they have uh, the right to um, ask you to remove all that data. 
um, that's that's well within their their prerogative to do. And and when they do that, you have to respond in a in a timely manner. You have to get it done. Now, they don't want to put an undue burden. I, we don't want to, uh, you know, th- imply that every company has to have some automated tool that people can go and manage all this information because. Honestly, I believe at the end of the day, not that many people are going to make those types of requests. It's like reading an end-user license agreement. It's scroll, 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 click, and they move on with their lives and forget about it. (laughs) I think that we're going to see a lot of that kind of behavior with GDPR uh, consent forms. People will scroll, 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 click, and they will move on with their lives. Um, But some, uh, we have to have the ability to respond to those requests when they come. So uh, that doesn't mean that we have to have those automated tools. We don't have to spend all that money in advance. We just have to have a process in place where a human can go and take care of that for them. Okay. And if you're collecting the data, um, again, you, you have consent or you have the the, um, the, the the necessary, you know, parameters for, okay, yes, we need to collect this data. Do you, does it need to be anonymized? I think you mentioned um, in prep uh, the, the, um, the concept of pseudonymization. I think I got that right. Well, before we go to pseudonymization, we should talk about anonymization sure. and identifiable personal data. Um, so when we're collecting data on users, sometimes we don't know who that user is. We just have a cookie or an IP address or something like that. And that, in our mind, that person is, is anonymous. But in reality, they're just anonymous for now because we have the ability at a later date to ask them a question or prompt them somehow or, or dig and find out who they actually are. And once we've done that, we can reconcile um, who they are with all the things they've done in the past. So all that data that we collected in the past is identifiable, right? So we can figure out who that is eventually, you know, maybe with some extra steps. So that data under that principle is protected um, because it is identifiable. We can find out who that person is later. to genuinely anonymize something, you have to make it so that you've broken that trail. Um, for IP addresses, you can scramble the last octet of the IP address, the last three digits, and um, not be able to track who that individual is. You can track generally maybe what country they're in, but not who the individual is. So that's a way to anonymize data that you have. And um, that's one practice that you can put in place to avoid having to gather consent, if there's no way to associate that data with a person. Pseudonymization actually comes in later. That's uh, when you're storing data about your users. Rather than storing all that personal data and the identifier for who that user is in the same database, if you will, or even in the same data center, you create a unique identifier and put that on both sets of data. And you store that that personally identifiable information, you know, their, their name, their email address, whatever, you store that somewhere locally and secure and very protected. You've got control over it. And then the other data that doesn't have the personally identifiable information, maybe something you share with Google Analytics or another processor, someone who's helping you do some kind of analysis of your data, you share that, you share that information with the unique identifier, the, the ID for that user that you've come up with, so that that processor of your data doesn't have the ability to identify that person. Only you do. That's where pseudonymization comes in play. It's a best practice for keeping people's data safe. Okay. So even outside of this regulation, it's a best practice for yes. keeping people's data safe. Okay. Um, uh, one thing that, that, that your, your answer made me think of is that this applies not only to data that you'll be collecting in the future, but data that you may already have in your systems or um, 
Yeah, that's that's one of the uh, sobering things about this May 25th date is that um, us, for example, we have clients who websites we've managed for close to two decades. And we have log files going back for two decades. Um, and those have IP addresses. And there's people from all over the world. And come May 25th, if we don't have each of those users' explicit permission to have their personal data stored, um, then we don't have a legal basis for having that information. So it needs to go, right? It needs to be erased. So there's this deadline where not only do you need to have the tools in place for people to service themselves and, and for you to fulfill your obligations as a data processor, but um, you need to get consent from all the users you already have data on um, before May 25th. Um, and if you don't, that data needs, like I said, it needs to go. Yeah. I think uh, to reinforce Donovan's uh, point there, the impact of GDPR is being felt across the branding and marketing industry. Uh, Donovan has touched on, on Brand Extract's own, own position ahead of the May 25th activation date for GDPR. But Adweek actually recently featured an article that discusses uh, GDPR's impact on mobile marketing, and it noted how an ad tech company called Drawbridge actually closed its media buying unit in Europe because it turned out that the firm's approach to gathering data from mobile, tablet, and desktop sources for targeted advertising wouldn't have cut the mustard. And that's just one example of the potential shakeup facing advertising and marketing fields, companies, and services. Yeah, well, and, and Donovan mentioned uh, the other day, um, much like the example you gave, this is something that is going to kind of either, I don't say threaten, because that might be too strong, but it's going to, it's certainly going to impact pretty significantly a lot of business models out there, uh, yeah. you know, Pardot being, being one of the, uh, the prime examples of that. Yeah. So um, what I think people want to know out there is, okay, you know, we, we know what we need to do, or we know kind of the basis of what we need to do. What happens if you are not compliant or you are found in violation of this, uh, of this legislation? So most articles that I see lead with this fact um, because they're trying to get your attention. Um, the penalties for noncompliance with GDPR can be as high as 20 million euros or 4% of your total annual turnover, which I take to mean is the same as annual revenue. Um, those fines are reserved for the most egregious offenders, um, and we're not likely to see anything approaching that uh, for people who, who um, I'm not going to say innocently, are not in compliance, but maybe just uh, made their best efforts and didn't do quite get the job done. Mm -hmm. um, but that's just the regulatory agency uh, penalties. Um, you can also be sued. Um, you know, by individuals who've had their data compromised, or uh, usually when these things happen, it's more than one person. So you're talking about a class action uh, suit of some kind. This being the EU, um, my understanding is that uh, the sort of drive-by demand letters that we see here in the States are uh, less prevalent because there is risk that you could be forced to pay the defendant's legal fees if you're, you're, you're found to have, be filing a frivolous lawsuit. But as you mentioned, there, there's probably a little bit – I think you mentioned um, in our pre-show prep that you don't necessarily see it as being – there's gonna, there's not necessarily going to be people out there like looking, trying to, you know, trying to do a gotcha and to have these frivolous lawsuits. It's more, um, more going to be people who are um, actively trying to, to skirt the, 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 right. the, the uh, legislation right. that, that 
um, regulatory agencies will probably go after and focus on. Yeah. So um, that's that's really great stuff. One thing I want to touch on really quickly uh, before we let you guys go, um, do you guys have any tips, Like, in a, and it can be high-level overview for companies out there right now that are that are preparing for this, that, you know, hey, uh, you know, yeah, well, I have a couple clients in the EU. Mm -hmm. How do I, you know, how do I, where do I start? Do you guys have any tips on that? I do. Um, The first one is don't freak out. Um, It's not that bad. Um, I know it can seem scary, especially when people start talking about the the penalties. Um, But the steps to compliance are pretty pretty well documented and tangible. Um, If you uh, fancy a bit of light reading, GDPR text itself is digestible by regular humans, not just lawyers. Um, it's, it's clear. Um, technically, um, it's, it's, uh, it makes sense. Um, and there are some you know, just basic steps that you need to cover to make sure you're in compliance. I mean, first of all, you need to look at your site. You need to audit the site for any data collection points that you have. Um, get rid of ones you don't need. Um, make sure that your third parties that you're using on your site are in compliance. Um, and then if you need one, add a consent mechanism. It can be just a consent mechanism. You don't have to add automated tools. The consent part needs to be automated, but the rest the rest can wait, and you can see if the demand is there and if you need to spend the money to build those tools. In the meantime, you can just add processes for managing user data, fulfilling requests from the user for their data, uh, deleting their information, and just make sure that you have a process in place where you will respond in a timely manner. Um, and then lastly, you want to ensure that you're following, you and your processors are following best practices for making sure that your data is secure, you know, encryption, uh, pseudonymization, um, physical security, uh, all the things of that nature. From an organizational perspective, I'd say make sure that the stakeholders and I guess key people in your in your company are aware that things are changing as a result of GDPR. The the inherent awareness is is there. Uh, try and document the actual data of EU citizens that your company has. Uh, that definitely helps paint the roadmap uh, to what Donovan was mentioning regarding actual um, technical steps that you can take. And I think one more that we can definitely consider is just reviewing the procedures to make sure that all the rights of data subjects are covered. That's, it's, from an organizational standpoint, I think those come to mind as, as, as first steps. Excellent. Well, guys, I really appreciate um, the, uh, the time you guys took today. Is there anything else you, you might want to add just before we let you go on GDPR? Do you want to cover some common scenarios? Yeah, that'd be fantastic. So what are what are some of the more common scenarios of, uh, you know, I, I know that there's like you know, analytics. You know, we use, we're big on Google, Google Analytics here, and I know a lot of people out there are. So does this impact GA? Does it impact Parda? I mean, what, what are some of the ones, you know, some high-level key ones? Well, with Google Analytics, um, the process, when a, when a user hits a page that has a Google Analytics script on it, um, the first thing that happens is that a request is made to Google for the analytics script. And when that request is made, it gives Google the ability to track that user by IP address or even put a cookie on their machine. I'm not saying that Google puts a cookie from their end, but they have that ability. Um, And the second thing that happens is 
uh, user, the web page loads, and the Google Analytics code puts a cookie on that user's machine. But that cookie is associated with your website domain, not Google. So that's your cookie that they've put on there for, for you. Um, with Google, you have the ability to anonymize the request for the JavaScript uh, code that they send you so that they will not record information like IP address of who requested that file. And you also have the ability to not put the cookie on the user's machine. These are just two little settings in Google Analytics, or actually the little bits of code you need to put in your snippet. But you can anonymize Google Analytics so that you no longer have to gather consent. It's safe to use because it does not gather personally identifiable information. Excellent. But by default, it doesn't do that. Got it. And what about uh, like you know marketing automation software? What are some of the you know this Pardot we mentioned? You know we think we talked so about. So Pardot's business model is basically built on doing exactly what GDPR doesn't want you to do. Um, so to use Pardot, you need to gather consent from the users before you put that Pardot snippet on a web page. The language that you use to explain to the users what you're doing and why you're doing it and gathering consent, I think is going to be a, a challenging thing to write. I'm glad that's not my job. Um, because you're going to have to explain to them that this is going to give us the ability to, to track you across every page and know what you're doing and try and infer where you work and where you're coming from. I think people might be turned off by that. Sure, sure. Um, and, and one other one I want to touch on really quickly is hosted fonts. How is, how are, uh, how is the GDPR, GDPR going to affect hosted fonts? Well, for any asset that's hosted by a third party, it could be images, it could be fonts, it could be uh, uh, JavaScript files off a, off a content delivery network, you are giving the person whose stuff you're embedding on your page the ability to do all those same things, track a user by IP address, put a snippet on, um, and that could be in violation of GDPR. You need to monitor all those vendors and audit them and make sure that they stay in compliance. So I think the easier thing to do is just avoid using third-party uh, hosted assets whenever possible um, because there is, it just generates more work for yourself. So um, I have one more. One more. That's really important. Always room for, for one more. So web server log files. I think we touched on it yes. earlier. But um, a I, honestly, not many of the articles I've seen really talk about this. Um, web server log files, by default, gather IP addresses. Just by the fact you, you put a website on a web server, it's going to do it automatically. So you need to go in and reconfigure your web servers so that when they're writing requests to the log files, the IP address is either scrubbed or it's anonymized, which is kind of sad because it's, it's helpful to developers sometimes when you're debugging a problem and you want to find out what's going on with, with one individual. But uh, we have to have their permission to do it. It's not worth doing. Excellent. All right, guys. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us and helping us to break down the GDPR. Um, and uh, we'll let you get out of here. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. And that caps off this week's edition of Solving for B. Please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Your review makes it easier for fellow branders and marketers to find the show. And as usual, we have plenty more insights for you at brandextract.com. We'll be back next week for another episode of Solving for B with Brand Extract.